You guys enjoying these dramas so far? They're pretty sweet, huh? Um, you, ever, you ever wondered to yourself, why, why does God hate sin? Has that question ever popped into your head? Like, JoJo's, the message that he's giving, maybe his methodology is a little bit off, right? Maybe, like, in, in the way that he's uh, delivering it to the backyard gnomes, almost in this, like, contempt, like, he's sitting in a lawn chair waiting for the destruction of God to happen, like, maybe, like, low-key a little bit uh, messed up with the intentions. But do you ever wonder that question? Like, why, why are the wages of sin death? Hey, can you do me one last favor? There's two LaCroix back there. Can you grab them for me? Um, one of them's limoncello and the other one's coconut, my two faves, okay? I'm bougie like that, okay? Relax, okay? Um, but you ever, you ever, have you ever asked that question before? Like the, the wages of sin being death. Thanks, Harry. Hey, can you give it up for this guy? Come on, come on, come on. Thanks, Harrison. Better than Bob the Tomato, that guy. Better than Bob the Tomato, okay? Uh, but it seems intense, Right? Like, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've been around the scene for a while, or maybe you're kind of new to this whole thing. Maybe church and religion and Christianity and the Bible, maybe it's a new concept to you. And it, it kind of seems like a lot to say that God's going to, like, destroy an entire city, or that the wages of sin is death. Like, it's like, I, you almost want to look at God and be like, can you just relax? Like, can it not be death? Can it not be so intense? Like, why can't you just be like, hey, no big deal. Like, we're supposed to forgive each other. Like, why can't God just be like, it's, it's fine. I forgive you. It's, it's okay. And, and, and here's the answer to that question, okay? There's something all throughout Scripture that's a reality of who God is. It's a reality of an aspect of his character, and it's his wrath, and it's, it's something we don't talk about all the time. It's not a super popular conversation. But God's wrath is simply this, very simply put. It's his love in action against sin. Okay, so if you're a note taker, if, if you're somebody who likes to write things down, right, maybe even in the margin of your Bible as you've hopefully opened up to Jonah chapter 1 already. Anybody have their Bible with you? Let me see it. Let me see your Bibles up in the air. Let me see them. Let me see them. Let me see them. Heck yeah. Okay, write, write this down. God's wrath, W-R-A-T-H, his wrath is his love in action against sin. God hates that which hurts the object of his love, okay? Can I tell you guys a quick story? Uh, this happened today, quite literally, okay? So this wasn't something that was like prefabbed, ready to go, right? This happened to me today, this afternoon while I was walking around with Piper. Y'all know how it's like, it's real icy out there. Anybody slip yet? Anybody? Oh, wow. <laughs> so many of you, right? We're all in this together, right? Like we've all walked out and been like, hey, Sue, right? Like just completely eaten it at some point this week. It's just, it's bound to happen. But Piper, we were hanging out today, and homegirl took a, a digger, like face first, straight into the ice, okay? And I'm like, I hate, I hate watching like people in pain in general. Like it just, it doesn't sit super well with me. If you're into the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram seven. And so I'm like, ah, pain. Like I don't like it. I like adventure and fun and like going out. Like I plan my next vacation while on vacation. Like that's, I like uh, to have a good time. And so when people are in pain or struggling, like, oh, I hate it. You know what's worse than that though? Watching my baby girl like, my little girl that I love so stinking much, like, that girl has turned my world upside down. I, I, I can have the worst day ever, and I can get home, and her little, like, 
da-da, and like running to me, I'm like, nothing else matters. Like nothing, that's it, right? Like parents in the room, you can relate to this. Like when my little girl runs to me and I just get to pick her up, there is nothing better than those moments. Like she has absolutely turned my life upside down, redefined what the word love means for me. But the first time I saw her in pain was actually at a doctor's appointment. Okay. Um, I hadn't really, like babies cry, right? Like if you've been around a baby, like babies cry. A pain cry is different, right? Like when they're in pain, it, it just hits different. It's like, it hits a different octave and you're like, oh, I haven't heard that one before. And, and when the doctor first like put the, the needle for her like one month shots like in her thigh and, and she let out that first cry, I was like, I'm gonna kill you, right? Like this, <laughs> doc, this is the last day that you practice medicine. Like I... I, I, I felt this like physical response, like an anger. Why? Because something, namely someone, was hurting my daughter. Right? Like if, I'm, if I watch my daughter walk towards something that will hurt her, and I just let it happen, I'm just like, eh, whatever. None of you are like, oh, what a good dad. <laughs> like, he loves her so much. Like, that's not a thing. Like, like you, I would do everything in my power to keep her from whatever's going to hurt her. And so when she face planted on that ice and she came up and homegirl got her first little bloody nose today. And I picked her up and I was like, literally, legitimately, like everything in me is like, I hate that which hurts you. I hate it. So God's wrath, it's his hatred of that which hurts his children. Does that make sense? The sin present in our life, from, from page three of the Bible, chapter three, when Adam and Eve chose autonomy, any word, thought, action, or attitude that goes against God's plan for his life, it wasn't that God was like, I hate you and all of your sin. No, it was, it was his heart breaking, going, my, my wrath is my love in action against sin. I hate sin. Why? Because it hurts the object of my love. And so when we get into this conversation, we start to understand why would Jonah have to come to Nineveh and say, look, if you keep doing this, you are headed towards destruction because sin always leads to destruction. God being perfect in his character, he is consistent, he is steadfast. In Exodus chapter three, when he says, I am who I am, that's the most bold statement anybody could ever make about their character. You know what God's saying? He's saying, who I currently am is who I have always been, and it's who I will continue to always be. He is perfectly steadfast in his character. Y'all, we don't even come close to that, right? Remember like what you were into five years ago? Remember what you thought was cool? You ever seen a photo of yourself from like 10 years ago, and you're like, oh God, right? Like, oh geez, like that was, like friends, can we just have, like, like, is this a safe space, right? Can I be vulnerable with y'all, right? Like, I bleached my hair, like, 12 times in elementary and high school. Like, that was, and I thought it was cool. That's the worst part. I used to gel my hair. Like, I would get a comb and gel it, and then, like, just the front would be spiked. I look at that now, and I'm like, who let me go out of the house like that, right? Like, I, like, call my mom, and I'm like, why? And she's like, you just, I don't know, son, right? Like, I, that's just what you did. And I'm like, oh. Like, I can never stand before anyone and go, who I always have been is who I currently am, and it's who I will always be. No, there's things in my past that I'm deeply ashamed of. Right? There's things that I've done where I've messed up big time, and I will continue to blow it. 
And I, I blow it as a pastor. I blow it like I mess up as a husband. I mess up as a father already. And she's only 16 months old. And I'm like, God, have mercy. Like, I need a lot of grace to go throughout my life. And God says, in my character, in my perfection, who I have always been is who I currently am. And it's who I will always be. And we can rest in that. We can take that to the bank. This weekend so far, we've looked at two things, two realities. We've looked at the heart of God. Right? This morning, we looked at the heart of God, and we understood, and we said, the heart of God is always for his purpose, and his purpose is always for salvation. Like, Look at Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world. You know what God's first move is? Any chess players out there? Okay, okay all four of us. Okay? Like, his first chess move, his first first play in Genesis chapter 3 was a move towards salvation. His first movement was, gonna, was saying, I am going to figure a way. I'm going to make a way back because I want to buy my people back. No longer are you perfect. No longer can you experience the fullness of life in perfection like me and like the spirit and like the son. Right? God created from a place of abundance, not because he needed us. And then when we messed it up, his first move was towards redemption, reconciliation, to buy us back. And we've seen this in the Jonah story, right? The very first words in Jonah were the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he said, go to the great city, preach against its wickedness. Like God is a God that pursues. And even when Jonah goes the opposite way, he sends a storm. And even when they throw him overboard, he sends a big fish, and it swallows him up in God's pursuit of Jonah and God's pursuit of the Ninevites has been crystal clear in this story so far. So God's heart, we saw God's heart and we said we can always bank on God's heart being for his purpose and his purpose is for salvation. But here's the other side of the equation, right? We've looked at our hearts. I remember uh, night one at camp that seems like three weeks ago. Right? Isn't winter camp bananas? Like you're up here for like two and a half days and you feel like it's a lifetime. Right? Like you're sitting next to somebody, you're like, you're my best friend, man. And you're like, I met you yesterday. And you're like, I know. Right? Like it's just, it's camp. It's awesome. And we looked at this on Friday night, the reality that there's sin in the world. Right? It's not hard to see when we look around. But sometimes we have to pause and look in the mirror and go, that's, that's present in my life too. And what I know about my heart and what I can bank on with my heart is that my heart is not for God's purposes. Like no one ever accidentally fell in love with Jesus. No one ever accidentally like followed. Like you, didn't, you never picked up a Bible and went like, huh, no way. This is how I've been living my whole life. Or like it's never happened. Like autopilot for us is choosing our way. It's the thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that I want, when I want them, how I want them. Hey, you look at children, it's not hard to see. Remember the trucks? Right? 47 trucks, and you go, mine. And you go, mm, wicked children, right? Sin is in the picture. But don't we do the same thing? Right? The reality is just as clear for us that we are sinful, we are broken, and it's not hard to see. And maybe when you look around like the comparison game, you can convince yourself, like I convince myself so often, that I'm not really that bad. Right? One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a theologian, and he says, he says this. He says, when I was a young man, he said, I sinned a lot more, and I felt a lot less bad about it. Now that I'm an old man, I sin a lot less, and I feel infinitely worse. That's wisdom. 
Your sins, they're not just small little things. They're not just like, oh, well. Remember Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Their wickedness has risen up against who? Me. Exodus 34, God has a name, and we've committed cosmic treason against him over and over and over again. And so what this does is it creates a gap between my heart, which is wicked beyond belief, and God's heart, which is perfect. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this gap? Okay, uh, Lily, are you in the room? Lily, five foot one Lily. Can you come here for a second? We're going to talk about how sinful you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, there's some stairs right here, Lily. Can you guys say hi, Lily? This is my friend. Um, and then Chad, where are you at? My man. Hey, Lily, are you ready to fight Chad? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. No one, no one should fight this man. Um, he is, he's an ox, okay? He is... Lily, uh, how tall are you? 5'1". Five 5'1". One. Five one. In all of your might, Lily. 5'1". Golly, you're so tall. <laughs> it's not often that I feel short, and you make me feel short. Chad, how tall are you? 6'8". Yeah, but these are, these are like inch and a half boots, right? 6'9". 6'9", okay. All right. He's humble. Notice, like, once you get this tall, like, you don't go six, nine and a half. You just say, like, six, nine. But, Lily, you ever pulled the, like, five, one and one quarter? You ever said that before? I know I did. Okay, Lily, here's a true story. My freshman year of high school, where are my freshmen at? Okay, freshman, here's how it's supposed to go. Seniors, where are you at? You'll learn. You'll learn, I promise, okay? Uh, freshman in the room. My freshman year of high school, okay, I was... I was five foot one, and I was just, I was like teensy tiny. Uh, you remember like, you know like the wave at sporting events, hey? I was the kid at like in the wave at the sporting events, like we, me and all my friends, we like painted our chest for a sports game, and I would do the wave like this, like woo, like T-Rex arms, because homeboy went through puberty like his junior year of college, okay? Like it was, I was a late bloomer, still blooming, thank you very much, okay? And so I, I was, I was Lily, we were like the same height, okay? So what I'm saying, Lily, is you might be 6'3 someday, okay? <laughs> Most likely not, but, okay. So, five foot one, seven foot 11, okay? Uh, six, nine, sure. great, okay. Uh, here's, here's the reality, okay? This is so often what we do in our lives, right? We take five foot one, actually, can, can you guys switch sides for me for the sake of the stage, okay? Because this is the front yard, right? These are the front yard gnomes. Have you guys caught that? That the stage is split, there's a path, front yard, backyard. Some of you are like, oh, okay. So backyard gnomes, okay? Lily, at five foot one, okay, what you're going to do for me is you're going to represent backyard gnomes, like the most blatant, obvious sin, okay? And some of you feel this way, okay? Some of you feel this way. You go, if you actually knew who I am, If you knew what I did, if you knew what my life looked like, you would understand, like, when you're talking, when when Austin's up there talking about the people that aren't that bad, he's not talking about me, because I am that bad, right? And then the front yard gnomes, like, they've kind of represented these people that, like Jonah, go like, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm not that bad. I've been around church for forever. Like, this is my 17th camp. My church sense is perfect. Like, I read my Bible, right? Like, you're really not that bad. Any of y'all love uh, roller coasters? 
I love roller coasters. I don't know what it is. I just like the adrenaline. Like I'm, I'm a big roller coaster guy. But at five foot one, right, you can understand this. When I was a kid, I was even smaller. And when we came back to the U.S., we got to go to this place called Six Flags. But the problem is for all of the awesome rides like X2 and Goliath and all those ones, they have those stinking you must be this tall to ride signs. You know what I'm talking about? And for us short people, right, at the time, I remember going up to that thing and like putting, like stuffing my shoes, something you know nothing about, okay? And being like, like holding my breath and being like, can I ride? Like, am I, am I tall enough? Hey, and if, when it's, you must be this tall to ride, it's really easy to compare height if the you must be this tall to ride is like here, right? Because at, this is probably about six feet. I'm like six three. So at about six feet, Lily walks up to six feet and goes, and Chad walks up to six feet and goes, I laugh in the face of six feet. Okay, <laughs> I'm fading you to be so arrogant, right? Chad's such a nice guy, okay? But, like, so he looks at six feet, and Lily, you look at six feet and go, like, I don't stand a chance. Like, there's no way I'm going to be that tall. And you look at six feet and go, I'm way over that. I'm way taller that, than that. And friends, this is what we do with our sin so often. We look around at one another, and we go, well, I'm, I'm pretty bad. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm, I'm kind of bad. Well, I'm not... I'm not as bad, and and we play this comparison game, but here's the reality of the you must be this tall to ride when it comes to God's economy, when it comes to God's kingdom. You know the Empire State Building? Hey, the Empire State Building is over a thousand feet tall. Hey, I want to take the you must be this tall to ride thing and slap it on the top of the Empire State Building, and then both Lily and Chad walk up, and Chad goes like, oh, walks up. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Never walk like that, okay? (laughs) Chad walks up and goes, you must be this tall to ride, and he goes, How ludicrous, friends, would it be if Chad walked up to the Empire State Building and went, well, I'm a foot and eight inches closer. We would all go, congratulations. <laughs> it's the top of the Empire State Building. Five foot one or six foot nine, it doesn't make a difference if a thousand feet is the bar that you have to clear. It's not like he walks up to the Empire State Building and goes, Am I close? It's like, no, Chad. No, you're not. And Lily, neither are you. Thanks, guys. You give it up for these guys. Thanks, brother. Here's the reality. We got to stop playing the comparison game when it comes to our sin. Why? Because it's unbiblical. When it comes to the story of Scripture, right, the single greatest story ever told, this book, Genesis through Revelations, 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years on three continents and three languages. Can you let that sink in for a second? You know how bananas it is that 40 different people wrote 66 different books and it tells one story? But friends, you and I spend so much time looking around us going, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. Or dang, I'm, I'm doing really bad this week. Or if you knew what the last couple of months looked like. You don't know my story. Friends, 
whether you're five foot one or six foot eight in God's economy, whether your outward sins are super obvious or you're the kid that looks really good and has looked really good for a really long time, God's standard is perfection and you're not close. I'm not close. Your counselors aren't close. Your youth pastors aren't close. But friends, remember what I said this morning. This isn't just a religious ideology. This is not a philosophy on life. It's good news, not good advice. And so when we open up this story to Jonah chapter 3, you got to hear the story that Jonah's uh, coming at them with. It's good advice. Straight from the gardener, he says this. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you, the message of good news. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. Underline that sentence. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on a sackcloth. Okay? And then the word gets to the king. The king doubles down on it and says, we are all in on this together. We believe God enough to actually do what he says. Notice that they didn't just believe in him up here. You know what the book of James says? It says even the demons believe that there's a God. But they're not saved. Why? Because it's not just about a belief up here. Notice what the Ninevites' belief does. It changes their life. They believe and then move. They believe and then make a change in their life. And then Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe you haven't. What happens to the Ninevites here is they're practicing what we in the church called repentance. Okay? And, but repentance is, again, it's just a big churchy word that means to change your mind. Okay? It, it's as if you're walking one direction, and then you change your mind, and you're like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't right. And then you turn around, and you go this way. That's what it means to repent. It means to change your mind. And so for them, they looked at their thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, and Jonah said, hey, this isn't God's design for your life. If you keep going down this path, remember Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is what? Death. So this is the message that Jonah's proclaiming. He says, if you keep going with these thoughts, with these words, with these actions, with these attitudes, it's going to lead to your death and not just a physical death. You're going against God's design for your life. You're going against God's plan for your life and it's not going to end well for you. His love in action against sin. You can bank on that happening. Why? Because who he has been in the past is who he is, and it's who he will always be into the future. And he proclaims this message, and then it says that God saw that they believed and repented. And in their belief that God is who he said he was, they believed him enough to repent, which means to change their mind, and then it says that God relented. When God saw what they did and they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Why? Because his heart is always for his purpose, and his purpose is always salvation. Hey, get this, okay? Remember we talked about this book is not just a book about what happened. It's a book about what happens. Hey, God is a pursuer. 
So much so that you know what the god of Nineveh was? It was a god called Dagon, okay? Check this out. Check this out, okay? Do you see what this looks like? This is, this is like a, an illustration of the god that the Ninevites worshipped. It looks like a fish throwing up a man. It was a half fish, half man. And you know what God used to pursue the Ninevites? A man getting swallowed by a fish and then spit back up to proclaim the good news. Isn't that bananas? This is your God. This is the same God that pursues you and I, that gives us this book, Genesis to Revelation, to say, I'm pursuing you. And for the Ninevites, this was significant, right? If God came to us, right, like if you live on a coastal city, like my Monterey friends, and God spit somebody out, and they were like, and he was like, ugh, ugh, ugh. hey, you, repent. You'd be like, ah, (laughs) get away from me, belly acid man. Like, you stink. Like, they wouldn't work for us. That's not how, but like you and I, we get to come to a place like Hume Lake Christian Camps. We get to hang out with awesome youth pastors like you do, like Chad, right? And you go like, Chad, you're 6'9", you're so rad. And he's like, I know, but I don't need more high school friends. Like, I'm talking to you about good advice. I'm talking about good news, not good advice, because Jesus changed my life. And you have leaders that are sitting here with you and youth pastors that drove you up here in the fog when it was scary, right? And they made it up here and they kissed the ice and they went, Thank God I don't have to make a weird phone call, right? Like, (laughs) y'all, you have a God that pursues. This is how he pursued the Ninevites. But don't mistake, don't miss it. God is pursuing you tonight here in this place. You can take that down. Okay, but here's where I wish, here's where I wish we could just pause. Here's where I wish that you and I could just sit down, genuinely, right? I, this, is, this is the part of the night where I, I wish I could just stop and sit down and just crack open, do you want the coconut or the limoncello? I'll, I'll take coconut, okay, that's fine, that's fine. It's like vacation in a can, okay? That's good. And I wish you and I could just sit and you'd crack open the limoncello, and I'd sit here with my coconut LaCroix. I wish we could just chat, just you and me. We'd sit here, and you'd go, okay, Austin, I, I get it. Right, like I, I we came up to Hume, and I, I heard you night one. You, you talked about sin, and the fact that, that sin is real, that it exists. And that it's not just present in the world around me, that it's present in my life, that it's any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design. And I, I admit, there's plenty of brokenness in my life. And then this morning, Austin, I, I was with you when you, we were talking about who God is and that he has a name and that he's compassionate and slow to anger, that he stedf- steadfast love. And my sin isn't just, it's not just sin for sin's sake, it's, it's an offense against him. It's cosmic treason. And that his heart is for his purposes, and my heart is not for his purposes. My heart's for me. Left to myself on autopilot, I look out for me. 
And if you and I were sitting here and you asked me, okay, now what? What, 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 do I, what do I do now? Where do we go from here? I would sit down with a Bible with you and I would say, hey, you can look onto mine for the sake of time just so we're not flipping back and forth. And I would say that Romans chapter 1, verse 18, says that there's a God, plain and simple, that there is a God and he's made himself crystal clear. I remember we talked about like if you stumble on a cabin in the middle of the woods, you don't just go like there must have been some crazy storm here last night. You go, no, somebody built this. Somebody designed it. Somebody made it, right? Like if you were eating alphabet soup, remember alphabet soup? It's got all the letters and stuff, right? Like if you were at night, you were just like, I'm hungry. And you went downstairs and made alphabet soup. I don't know why, okay? But like, let's just say you did. And you're eating alphabet soup, and then you were like, I got to go to the bathroom. And you went to the bathroom, and you came back, and like in your alphabet soup, it was spelled like, I can see you. You wouldn't be like, that's random. <laughs> Anyways, right? Like, no, friend. Like, you, you would think about the alphabet and the, the chances of those words spelling themselves out in your alphabet soup. Like, that's, the numbers are astronomical. Like, that, there isn't even a number for the likelihood of that happening. And I would tell you that Romans chapter 1 says that the exact same thing is true about God. Intelligent design, and if you look around you, it's all around, especially in a place like this. You can't not look at the pink reflecting off the mountains tonight and go, this just all happened. I, that's the same thing like going, oh well, alphabet soup, weird. And I'd say Romans chapter 1 says there's a God and he's made himself clear. But here's what Romans 1 says also. It says that we've, we've suppressed the truth. That there is truth and the, the truth is that there is a God and he has made himself known, but we have, we've pushed that truth aside. We, Romans chapter 1 says that we've chosen created things rather than a creator. And you and I would sit here and in our conversation, I would say, remember Jonah chapter 2? where he talks about, like, because I've chosen idols, I've given up my opportunity to be loved by God. Yeah, I remember that. And, the, and our heart is an idol factory. It just pumps out things that I chase after over and over and over again for fulfillment and satisfaction, even if I can just feel it for a minute. I know it doesn't fulfill ultimately. I know it doesn't satisfy ultimately, but it's, ah, oh, yeah, I have idols. And I go, me too. But the story doesn't end there. I'd say, it, in fact, it kind of gets worse before it gets better. There's a God, we've suppressed the truth, he's made himself obvious to us, and I would, I would turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says that there's no one perfect, not even one. That there's no one righteous, not even one. Right? And I would say, remember, righteous is that big churchy word that just means right with God. And you go, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And Romans 3, 23 says, that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of the God. And you go, ah, roller coaster. You must be this tall to ride. Chad and Lily, like they fell short. I'd go, aha, exactly, precisely. You must be this tall to ride. You know what you must be this tall is in Romans chapter 3? Right? That we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's perfect standard. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You go, okay, I, I get that. I can see that in my life. I would say, and then it kind of gets worse. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, because of that sin, the wages of that sin is death. As we were sitting here and you were drinking your limoncello and I was drinking my coconut, I'd go, do you have a job? And you go, yeah, yeah, I've, I've worked before. Okay, the wages of the job that you've worked is, is money, right? You get paid an hourly wage. What you've earned because of what you've done is your paycheck. And you go, mm-hmm. So, okay, Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin, because of what we've done, because of who we are by being born into this world, right, in the sin of little kids that's obvious, and the sin in my own life that's obvious, whether it's five foot one sin or six foot eight sin, really obvious externally, or, or maybe it's a lot of the ways that I think. Some of it's in the way that I treat my parents. Maybe it's in my internet history. Maybe it's in, in a dating relationship that I have. Maybe it's my, I just, am an, I just get angry. I just, I, I don't know what it is. It just, it happens. I get, I get really mad and I burst out. I'd say, yeah, the Bible makes it pretty clear. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of that sin, that's the sin it's talking about, it's death. And it's not just a physical death, right? Everybody's going to die, all of us. That's the reality, right? Like, we don't think about that too often. Like, as high school students, you probably feel invincible. Like, I turned 30 this year. I still feel invincible. I'm like, I'm not going to die. But the reality is I will. And this isn't just talking about a physical death. It's talking about an eternal separation from God. And there's not a lot more that's scarier than that than spending eternity apart from the God that loves you, that's for you, I'd say, but here's where the good news starts. It's not, remember, it's not just good advice, it's good news. I'd, say, I'd turn back to Romans chapter 5. And I'd say in Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I'd say, you know, remember like John 3.16, like maybe one of the most famous verses of all time. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave he gives. He's, it's not, so God so loved the world, so he, he just like really felt it down in his bones. No, it's for God so loved the world that he gave. Why? Because God is a God that pursues. He gives his son. And Jesus came and he walked the earth. He was born. He zipped up flesh and he became one of you and I. Right? The fact that God became a baby is wild. Now that I have a baby, like, I think about God as this helpless child that, like, needed his diaper changed, and I'm like, what? He loves me that much? Yeah, he does. You know what First John 4 says? It says, this is love. Not that we loved God. It's that he loved us and sent his son. Hey, friends, this book is not about what we have to do to get to God. This book is about what God has done to get to us. And Romans chapter 5 makes that crystal clear when he says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, he died for us. And maybe at this point you would sit down and you go, well, why did he have to die? Why couldn't he have just gone like, all sins forgiven? And I would go, well, back up a little bit. Remember Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Ah. So sin always pays in death. That's right. So somebody had to die. Someone had to pay the price for sin. And so God sends Jesus. And Jesus 
pays the ultimate penalty. Jesus dies for you, instead of you, and because of you. And Romans chapter 5 makes that crystal clear. It says God shows, he demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way that we could become righteous, and righteous means what? Right with God. The only way that we could become righteous is not by anything I could do. God made him who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He lived a blameless life, perfect. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. And you and I would sit here and you go, whoa, okay, well now what? I'd say, well, Romans chapter 10 says this, the story didn't just end with Jesus dead. Right? Jesus, he goes to the cross and he pays the ultimate penalty for your sin, for my sin, for all sin past and all sin future. And God loves us enough to pay that penalty God's wrath, his love in action against sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus hangs on the cross, he says, it is finished. Friends, you ever thought about this? What was finished? For all intents and purposes, Jesus wasn't an overly successful person. He spent 30 years as a carpenter came from a poor family, from a poor town. And then he did ministry for three years. And in that ministry, when he did ministry for three years, he had 12 guys. One of them betrayed him. And when he died on the cross, the other 11 were nowhere to be found. They were gone. And he hung on the cross and he went, ah, it is finished. And I can't help but think in that moment, by our standards of success, we would look at Jesus and go, what's finished? What did you do? You know what he did in that moment? He took all sin past and all sin present and all sin future. He took it upon himself. The wrath of God was poured out on him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he experienced the wages of sin being death, the separation from his father. And then three days later, he would raise again to prove once and for all that even death had no power over him. He proved that he could make dead things alive and you and I, without Jesus, we are dead things. The wages of sin is death. You and I are sinful. My heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. And Jesus proved that he could make dead things alive by resurrecting from the dead. That's why we talked about this morning. Find the bones of Jesus. You disprove all of Christianity. It's not a thing. If you just went, here's his bones, we'd all go, oh, we were wrong for thousands of years. But it hasn't happened. No one's disproved this book. No one's found the bones of Jesus. That's why it's not just good advice, it's good news. You'd be like, okay, I get that. So now what? I, we turn to Romans chapter 10. And I'd say, you know what Romans chapter 10 says? In verse 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Okay, but here's, the word, here's what the word Lord means in that. It's the Greek word kurios. Now, your New Testament is written in, in, in a language called Greek. It wasn't originally written in English. And that Greek word kurios is what we translate as Lord. It means to bow a knee to. It, it, it's to hand over the steering wheel of my life. Remember the Ninevites? They believed God and then changed their life, it turned over an entire new chapter, and everything about their life looked differently. That's what kurios means. That's what Lord means. So to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is to say, okay, Jesus, you're in charge now. It's your way, not my way. And to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That Jesus lived the life that I could not live. And he died the death that I deserve to die so that I might live the life that he deserved to live. And if you were sitting here right now and you said, I want that. I, I, I believe that. Jesus is my Lord. I would say it's as simple as this. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord. Believe in your heart that God saved him from the dead. And you will be saved. Nothing you can do. There's no amount of bad you could possibly do to separate you from the good news of the gospel. And there's no amount of good you could ever do to deserve the gospel. So if you and I were sitting here, I would say the same thing that I'm going to say to you right now. There's no magic words. There's no magic formula. There's no prayer. There's no like uh, with, your, with your head bowed, with your eyes closed. Like I've always kind of thought that's funny, right? Like... I, for me personally, right? Like I, I grew up going to camps, I grew up going to church, like, and, and for my whole life it was always like bow your heads and close your eyes and then like the guy from up front would be like, hey, if, you know, if you made a decision tonight, like look up at me or, or raise a hand or something like that. And he was the only one that would be like, I see you, okay. And I'm like, man, I, and I would always kind of like, I was like the rebellious church kid, so it was like, right, like quick peek. Like I, I don't want to do that tonight. I want every, every head up and every eye open. And I want to just tell you this, like I would if you and I were sitting here at a table, I would just say, if you want to make that decision tonight, it's as simple as saying this, and you can pray with me, God, I am a sinner. God, it's, it's, it's obvious to me that my heart is against your heart and your heart is for your purpose, and your purpose is always salvation. God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for resurrecting to prove that you can make dead things alive. Jesus, you are Lord. I believe, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, and I want to be saved. And friends, here's what I want to ask you, okay? In just a second, not right now, but in just a second, if you prayed that with me for the very first time tonight, and I want to make that clear, right? Not, not that you've prayed it before in the past and that you prayed it again tonight. No, I, like if genuinely, if tonight was the first time that you prayed that prayer with me and you just said, Jesus is my Lord, I am now saved because of the death of Jesus, right? All sin will be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. And if tonight you're saying for the first time, Jesus' death paid for my sins, he is my Lord and Savior, I believe that God is who he said he was in scripture. 
and my life moving forward is now as his son, as his daughter. If tonight was the first time you've ever made that decision, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I, I know that's scary, okay? But here's why I want to do it. Two reasons, okay? Number one, we want to celebrate with you. Why? Because you just passed from eternal separation from God into eternity with him as a member of the family. And that's awesome. Okay, number one, we want to celebrate. Number two, you came up here with your church, or you came up here with friends, or you came up here with leaders, or with a youth pastor, and when you go down the mountain, friends, I promise you it's not going to get easy. You know what Jesus said to his followers? He said, in this world, you will find trouble. It's going to be difficult, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Okay, and my, my fear is, friends, if you can't stand in a room like this, where I know it is still scary, it's still scary to stand up in front of a couple hundred people, but my fear is if you can't stand in a room like this, that you won't stand when you go down the mountain. And in front of your friends who can keep you accountable, who can encourage you, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman should sharpen one another. You're going to need each other. No one was ever meant to do Christianity alone. You were meant to do it as, as a, a, a community, as a group of people together. Okay, so one, we want to celebrate. Two, we want to journey with you. So friends, if you made that decision for the very first time tonight, go ahead and stand up to your feet right now. Awesome. Thank you. Proud of you. I want to talk to a second group of you right now. Okay, there's some of you that you heard what I've been saying this weekend. Right? You, you've had conversations with a leader, with a youth pastor. Maybe it's come up in conversation in, in, your, in your breakout time or in your cabin time. And you know that maybe once upon a time you've made that decision. Maybe once upon a time you did confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'd said, I, I've made that decision before in the past. I know I have. But that's not where my life is right now. I, I'm not consistently following Jesus. And maybe there's something even specific that you want to repent of. And remember, that's, that's not a magic word. It's just, it just means to change your mind. It just means that maybe there's some thoughts, words, actions, or attitudes in your life that you know you've been journeying this way and you need to change your mind and turn around and walk the other direction. And maybe tonight is a night that in this chapel you need to repent of something. And in just a second, again, not right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand for that repentance. And again, here's why. Number one, I want to celebrate with you. You want to know why? Because the life of a believer is marked by repentance, and there's so many moments in this chapel right here that I have had these bookmarks in my life that I look back on and go, that was the moment I decided. Hey, and let me make this clear. Like, this isn't like a rededication. This isn't like a re-upping on salvation. It's not like a doubling down. No, this is a moment for you to make a bold decision that can be a bookmark in your life to go, that was the moment that I went all in. That was the moment that I needed, that I knew that there was a repentance that I needed in my life. 
And so number one, I want to celebrate with you and remember this night as a bookmark in your life. And number two, I want accountability. We don't just do this for a fun part of camp or because it's like to check the box at camp. We do this because as we go home, your youth pastor wants to look at you and go, hey, you stood in that chapel. What did you mean by that? What is it in your life that you need to be done with? Who do you need to break up with? What, what door do you need to take off your room? What app do you need to download or to delete from your phone? What is it that you need repentance so that you can follow Jesus more closely? God's heart is pursuing you. Why? Because his heart is always for his purpose, and his purpose is always salvation. And then it's to walk with you in intimacy. Why? Because he wants life and life abundant for you. So friends, if there's something in your life tonight that you need to repent of, and this is going to lead to a conversation with a leader or a youth pastor, I'm going to invite you to stand up right now. Awesome. Heck yeah. Awesome. Hey, here's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to bring the band back out here in a minute, and they're going to play two songs, okay? And this is one of my favorite things to do at camp. Hey, worship, and, and specifically worship through music, hey, it's not just something we do at camp because, it again, it, like, checks the box. Now, like, remember what I said this morning? We are all worshipers. The question is not if you will worship, it's who or what you'll worship. And worship through music is such a powerful tool. Right? Isn't music such an amazing gift? Like, if I asked one of you to tell me the ABCs right now, you wouldn't just be like A, B, C. Like, most of us would go A, B, C, D, E, F. Why? Because you learned it in a song as a kid. You ever heard a song before that you haven't heard in years and you know every word? Right? Music is powerful. Most of my daughter's toys are some sort of, like, music-related. Right? Like, like, I'll trip over one of her toys in the middle of the night, and it'll be like, learning friends. And I'll be like, demons, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like terrifying. Hey, but music is powerful, and it's why kids' toys, like, a lot of them sing. And music is such a gift, and worship through music is such a gift. Why? Because God wants to remind us of who he is. And when we sing, we get to remember that and we get to celebrate that. And friends, on a night like tonight where so many of us repented, on a night like tonight where, where you three gentlemen for the first time get to sing to this God as his sons, what an awesome thing. You get to sing worship in a whole new way, in a whole new light. And you might not go like, well, singing's not really my thing. That's not what it's about. It's not about like, well, I have a good voice or I have a bad voice. We get to actively remember who God is and worship him through music. So in this moment, would you pray with me and let's worship. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be called your sons and daughters. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, that this story, Genesis through Revelation, God, is the single greatest story of not what we have to do to get to you, but what you have done to get to us. God, thank you for your son, and thank you for the salvation offered through your son. God, would tonight, the decisions made in this chapel, the conversations had in this chapel, would tonight be a night that marks the rest of our life, 
that from here on out, every minute of every hour of every day would be marked by a tight-knit relationship and a walk with you. Thank you that you desire that with us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.